I am Aramil Galadnow, an elven fighter. For a broader view of my adventures with the Wayward Sons, please check out the prologue episode, The Story So Far. What follows here focuses on the highlights of my experiences before and during my endeavors with our group. I grew up in the elven shield city of Sinithshore, about one month's travel southeast of the city of Beacon's End, where I would one day meet the rest of the Wayward Sons. Sinithshore was built many thousands of years ago to guard the pass of Meneros, the only overland route to the Vale of Ilthen, where the elves who traveled to Aria had made their home. As a child, I was inspired by the Vale Lancers, a paramilitary force that patrols the boundaries between the elven lands and the rest of Aria. This was in no small part because my father was a Vale Lancer, and I sought to be just like him. I joined the Lancers as soon as they would let me, and immediately set about trying to prove myself the best at everything. In my early 70s, still considered young blood by the veteran Lancers, my father was killed repelling an ogre ambush in the foothills north of the city. Already having grown restless amid the ranks of the Lancers, my father's death drove me to seek greater opportunities to prove myself. I then set my sights on the shrine of the Ara Asurian Vitari. Vitari dedicate their lives to mastering certain skills or professions, such as pottery, music, academia, or the arcane arts. The Ara Asurian, of course, are warriors, and I sought to become the best arrow singer the shrines had ever seen. Admittance to the shrines for training as a Vitari is no simple matter. In Simshore, applicants can try to pass a series of tests to gain entry on a special day every three years, and only one person is offered entrance each time. I tried the test, and I failed. Before I could despair too much, one of the Vitari approached me and said that I had promise. They said that if I could dedicate myself to advancing my skills, they believed that I could succeed in the test in years to come. I took this as a sign that the Vale Lancers were holding me back, and decided to set off to seek training, adventure, and opportunities to test myself in the larger world. It didn't take long for me to find my way to Beacon's End and join up with the Cerulean Sons, a mercenary group looking to gain increased legitimacy by expanding into roles beyond that those of typical sellswords. It was there that I met the companions with whom I would create an indelible bond. There I was joined by... The Dwarven Barbarian, Therena Thunderhelm. The Human Cleric, Elemen Corster. The Elven Rogue, Saren Nyla. The Gnomish Rogue, Malkin Kessel. In the following months, particularly during the Orcish Siege of Valorhold, I earned a name for myself, not just for my increasingly impressive archery, but for my bravery and tendency to rush in. Following our victory at Valorhold, we traveled to an old shrine of the Goddess of the Moon to heal Element of his lycanthropy. There, my companions said that I vanished for a period of time, which was definitely not because I had a daughter in real life. <laughs> I, however, have no memory of this, and only later, when I found a strange book in my bag, did I begin to suspect something was off. I also quickly became frustrated with the repeated interference of the Grimshaw Bandits, a group that seemed to be specifically targeting and working against my companions and me. That frustration, unfortunately, boiled over in Arthamore. After following a lead on the Grimshaw there, Malkin and Then were arrested as they tried to investigate a potential Grimshaw front. Eager to move past that minor inconvenience, I killed three guards in order to break my companions out of jail. Later, I would learn that Then's sister Kara arranged to frame some innocent men so they could be executed for the murders without drawing any attention to us. After Kara killed one of Arthamore's dukes, we fled the city and continued to hunt the Grimshaw. That hunt led us to Acton Manor. Deep in the undercroft of the mansion, once owned by a powerful wizard, my companion Then and I broke away from the group to cover more ground. The two of us were ambushed and overcome by a cluster of spiders the size of ponies. The rest of our companions came along and were able to rescue me, but Then was nowhere to be found. 
This is where the events of the Shadows campaign branches off so we could find out what happened to Then. I should have just gone with him. Though my companion saved me, I was horribly poisoned and physically weakened by the ordeal. During that rescue, my companions also found another victim of the spiders. The Elfman wizard, Varus Laedon. After we finally found one of the bases of operation and confronted the leader of the Grimshaw bandits, we learned the true scope of their efforts had wide-reaching effects for everyone in Aria. Before we could set out to make use of that information, we found ourselves transported to the Feywild, our favorite place. In that whimsical land, we met an ev- emerald-furred fox with a peacock's tail. Introducing themselves as Garth, the Fey addressed me, saying, A would-be arrow singer, full of ambition and guilt, carrying a story he can't quite remember. Such demand for physical excellence. Does it help you to hide that burning doubt deep inside? Do you really think you're worthy of bearing the mark of a Atari? Garth would eventually help us find the Summer City so we could petition the Matriarch of Fairies, the Summer Queen, for help returning to our own realm. Our path to the Queen meandered quite a bit, as it usually does, and we came across a dwarf bound to serve a Fae by capturing the souls of certain travelers. Apparently not interested in ours, the dwarf provided a recipe to cure the poison I acquired from the spiders at Acton Manor. In the Summer City, Thorina got us into more trouble before we could make our case to the Summer Court. Big surprise there. When we finally spoke to the Summer Queen, she offered us a way home if we made it through the Well of the Moon. The artifact creates a series of challenges designed specifically for each person who enters. Before having to fight a mirror image version of myself, the Well offered me this challenge. You and your companions find yourselves in the center of a keep. Around you, the sounds of battle ring out. The fight is not going well. As you and your companions turn to the walls, you each see a different place in which the enemy is about to overpower the defenders and break in. You all take off in different directions. Aramil, you run toward a section of the wall where massive birds are swooping down for the attack. The birds have a wingspan of at least 30 feet. Their feathers are dark blue with the occasional streak of yellow. As they dive at the wall, lightning occasionally crackles from them to smash against the defenders. These are Thunderbirds. You know that because Thunderbirds are an important aspect of the Vatari of the Ara Asherion. As you gain the top of the wall, what would you like to do? So Aramil is completely excited about this because one of the tests of the Vatari that he's already failed is um, is mounting a Thunderbird and proving that you can harness their power. So I definitely want to try to jump on the bird. You leap up, hand gracefully catching the bird's shoulder. You pull yourself up and are suddenly struck by the exhilaration of flying as the Thunderbird continues to swoop and soar. The joy is interrupted when... The bird swoops dangerously close to the the walls. There's a crack of thunder and lightning streaking through the air, through the bird, and into the wall. As this burst of lightning explodes next to you, everything slips into slow motion. You see the chunks of sharp rock and other shrapnel flying at your face, and you realize you have a choice. If you block your face, your hands will be ruined. You'll never fire a bow again. In fact, many of the things in which you excel at might be nearly impossible. If you lower your hands, the shards will strike your face and your eyes will be ruined. You might, just might, be able to learn to fight while blind, 
but you will never see again. Oh no. Um, I would definitely value um, the ability to, to still fire a bow. So um, I'm going to keep my hands on the bird and, and hope that I can learn to fight without my eyes. Okay. Everything fades to black. When light returns, you are standing in the streets of Sinashur, your home. The grand sweeping towers rise up on either side of you, decorated in the colors of the day of testing. It seems like every citizen and every street vendor is out to celebrate. Every three years, celestial bodies held sacred by the elves align, and there is a great festival. The party is incredible, but what you are looking forward to is the testing itself. Open to anyone, the test allows the uninitiated the chance to become Vitari. You are ready. You have been training for years. You will be blindfolded and your arms bound behind you. You and the other candidates will run through the sacred forest to the Kagathata, an ancient and sacred silverleaf tree that lies six miles away. Only one elf, the one who makes it through the gauntlet first, will be accepted. As you prepare, you see your father, Athanamil, waiting to talk to you. He greets you with a giant hug, his arms corded with muscle built from centuries in the Veil Lancers. He pulls back and holds you at arm's length. I am proud that you have chosen to become Vitari, he says to you. At the back of your mind, it nags you that your father's death drove you to try to become Vitari. But the moment passes, and the doubt slips from your mind as you are called to line up for the run. After waiting for what seems like years, the gauntlet begins, and you and the other candidates charge forward into the woods. Between the practice, the training, and your natural elven grace, you and the other candidates start strong despite being blindfolded. As you close in on what you think is about the 40-minute mark, you are feeling good and you can almost sense how close you are. Then you hear a thrashing in the bushes next to you, and a loud thump as a runner lands next to you. You hear that their rough landing has caused them to stumble ever so slightly. And then time seems to slow. Suddenly you remember. You have done this before. You have run the gauntlet, but failed. And this is the moment. The last moment before you fail. The runner who just jumped onto your trail is going to regain their footing, use their momentum, and throw a full-body check at you. You will fall, sprain your ankle and knee, and be done with this test. Just like that, your chance of becoming Vitari will all but vanish. Again, something nags at the back of your mind. If your dad is alive, this time he will see what you do. He will be proud or ashamed of you. You have a choice. You can push the other runner. If you do, you will be accepted to the shrine. Pushing is not expressly forbidden, though some do frown on it. Your father, for one, took pride in not pushing or shoving anyone during his run. No one but you would ever know that you did this. Or you can do nothing. You can take the hit, take the fall, fail again. But this time, you'll have to see your father's eyes when he finds out you failed. What would you like to do? I will take the high road 
not push the other runner and fail again. You feel the other runner crash into you. You try desperately to keep your feet, but it's no good. You topple. You feel the wrenching in your knee and ankle. Somewhere far in the distance, you hear the crowd cheering for the winner. As everything begins to fade to black, you hear your father's voice echo in your head. I'm proud of you. Then the darkness fully takes you. Outside the well of the moon, it appears the things we saw were but illusions. At least, that's how it seemed then. In the aftermath of our successful passage through the well of the moon, I was approached by Tethryn Viralde, an elvish demigod, paragon of blade and arrow singers. Vitari of Ara Ashurian mark their accomplishments with intricate magical tattoos on their left arm so that all can see and know their ability. Tethryn gave me his mark, three arrows flying across a circle, which means no shrine can refuse me entrance. In that moment, I was finally Vitari. When we returned to the mortal realm, we found out that three years had passed, and much had changed. As we traveled back to Beacon's End, I spent some time studying the book I took from the Tower of the Goddess of the Moon. It was called Elieth and the King of Cups. Yes, dear listeners, it is a book about Elieth and Hans during and after the events of the Shadows campaign. At a glance, the book is a typical hero's pseudo-autobiography. But as I read it more closely, a message appeared on the pages asking me, me specifically, for help. Unsure what to do with the vague message, I continued to study the book in our rare downtime. Soon, we set sail on the Dawnrose in search for the legendary Crucius. The Grimshaw were unwitting pawns in a larger game being played by the Eternal Watch. And that's when we started to believe the Crucius were the only way to overcome them. The hunt for the Crucius led us back to the tomb of the Elder King. Using the magic staves as keys, we discovered another tomb underneath the one we explored so many years ago. The tomb turned out to be an elaborate temple to the god of suffering and empathy. In one room, we thought we had to offer up a deep secret. I revealed to the group that I stay awake some nights, still thinking of the innocent people who were executed to cover up our slaying of the guards in Arthamore. Or my slaying of the guards in Arthamore. After tracking down some more clues, you can hear about those in the Story So Far episode. We once again traveled to the Feywild, this time by our own choice. And this time we were hoping to find a legendary hero who could lead us to one of the Crucius. Following a failed attempt to get a dinosaur out of the Stormlands, we made a deal with a Kenku hunter named Glorious Purpose. When it appeared Glorious had tricked us and would make off with a significant amount of our gold, my companions became aggressive. Not surprisingly. Remembering that my hasty actions once led to the murder of three guards and the executions of three innocent people, I made a point of refusing to engage with the struggle between my companions and Glorious. Ultimately, Glorious was killed, and I was arrested along with my companions when the Guard showed up. And now we are prisoners in the Summer City. Our quest and our fate hang in the balance. <laughs>